Hello, and thank you for tuning into the Attack and Release Show. My name is Matt, and I am joined today by my good friend, my good friend, my great friend Ooh. from Nashville, Samuel Moses. Good afternoon, everyone. So nice to be here. Thank you, Matt. That's what if so people kind. just like start referring to you as Samuel now? Samuel, that's fine. I respond. It's like yeah, that's what your that's what your name is, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or you just have like an alias for the podcast. My <laughs> alias would be Benjamin. Benjamin. Is that what you said? We, we go the full. What is it? It's four Benjamin syllables? here. Benjamin. Oh, three syllables. Yeah, Ichabod. Ichabob. Bod. Bob. Ichabod. Ichabod. Ichabob. All right, <laughs> man. Names back then were so cool. They were. I remember full like character. thinking as like, like you know, like the old timey names, like in the like the nineteen thirties that or in twenties that are coming back, like Bernice. Mm-hmm. That was my great aunt's name. I was kind of like, man, who would name their kid that? And I'm kind of like, that's kind of a fly name. Bernice is nice. So, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> Let's uh let's hop into today's episode. I will stop dragging this along. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Today, ladies, gentlemen, we are going to be talking and diving and getting into the topic of analog do's and don'ts. Donuts. Donuts. Donuts and yeah. donuts. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And, but before that, yeah. I think we had a little bit of housekeeping to do. Woohoo! My you want to take us away? Dyson vacuum is charged. Let's vacuum. Um, we are not sponsored by Dyson. Are we just going to say a bunch of like <laughs> infomercial great yeah, we things? We had the athletic greens episode. <laughs> now this is like this is the, the slap Dyson episode. vacuum episode. If Dyson wants to sponsor me, that'd be fine. Um, uh, just sponsor my life, Dyson. Love. Do you see Dyson those headphones vacuum. they brought out? I did with the with air like filter the air thing. Yeah, it's a very niche product, as they say. Niche. I don't know what I'm... Go- I don't, like... Here's my fear with that. Hmm. I don't know what my what I'm going to physically look like and, like, the way that my face is going to move. You'll look like Bane When I Batman. first encounter somebody wearing one of those. And that's a genuine fear of, like, <gasps> oh, what the... <laughs> it's like Bane. Yeah. Yeah. It's Dr. Anyway, housekeeping, Bane edition. Okay, my go. friends, thank you for sticking with us. Listener, thank you for joining us. We love you so much. It's a gift to have your uh have you in the community, ears. have your ears, chit-chat with us, have some banter. Anyway, housekeeping's that really unique time where you can screenshot this episode or a past episode, put it on Instagram, tag for the record mastering, tag Moses Mastering. We will reshare it. Also, the most important thing is we get to know you one on one, one by one, one on one, one to one business is what we're doing. And uh, what's really neat, I got to meet somebody last week who said they've been listening since day one. And they literally reached Dang. out. And we started chatting about mastering. He's a master engineer. And he's slowly, you know, growing his company. And he said, our podcast literally is pretty much the main reason for that, which is always nice. But that is why we do what we do and why we do housekeeping. So please, if you like the show, you want to stay up to date with it, you want to know what's going on, share it like and subscribe to it on Apple. That's so helpful. 
leave some feedback and some comments. Subscribing is really helpful. Wherever you're listening to this, subscribe. We literally just started doing that six years in. (laughs) Subscribe is important. So anyway, that is housekeeping, my friends. On to the episode. Go check out the new Dyson V7 Animal Vacuum. I think I have that one. That's what I have. That's not the red one. That's a purple one. Yeah, that's why I said it. It's the only version I know. <laughs> I have that one. Do you see the one they came out with that had the laser on it? No. They have like a, it's like a laser, but it's like, not like how we think of a laser. Like, you know, when you, I don't, I don't even know how you say it. It essentially like casts this laser, this green laser in front of the vacuum hmm. that kind of like beams out on the floor and it shows you like there's a you essentially can see the interruptions in like the actual like wave of light yeah. as it hits like little dust bunnies and stuff like yeah. that it's wild and then as you suck it up there's a sensor in it that tells you what you're like actually sucking up with the vacuum yeah like it it bioanalyzes the particles that would just make me absolutely anal. I don't think I could ever stop vacuuming, which could be the best marketing. Yeah. You know, I'll have to send this to you. It's the Dyson, like, laser thing. Freaking laser beams. The freaking laser. First sharks, now now vacuum cleaners. <laughs> Can't believe it. All right. All right. So <laughs> hopping into today's episode, we'll see if a dialogue is, in fact, possible five mm-hmm. and a half years mm-hmm. into mm-hmm. this We'll see. Mm-hmm. What is this? Episode 14 of season six. As long as we don't do the great old shuffle with the episodes. <laughs> the old shuffle. Totally possible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But as of now, that's what it is. So, Sam, what do you, like, Like, and this is just analog. What do you not recommend doing? Like, what did you learn early on to where you're like, I probably shouldn't have done it that way, or this really wasn't the <laughs> smartest way I could have done this. What's like a really big, like, first top of your mind, like, analog do not? Analog do not. Um, analog do not. Uh, okay, one of the first things for sure is like buying... <clears throat> Any piece of analog gear doesn't mean it's going to make your signal better. So before I invested into like a quality piece of analog gear, um, I bought like, I mean, I did buy like my Black Line Audio AMCHA1 EQ, which was like the only mastering EQ and they made it for a very brief time. And that wasn't even that quote-unquote expensive in the world of audio. It's a nice piece of gear. But I also bought like a bunch of random cheap stuff, like a Bogner or Bogan acoustic something that had a compressor, some old Yamaha EQ stuff. And I thought by just going out of the box that it would beat digital. And what I learned is those devices are just like totally not balanced, really noisy, (laughs) and like degrade the signal drastically. Not even in a cool way. Just like, what happened to the left and right balance here? (laughs) Where did that go? Like the snare is now left and it was centered. (laughs) Something happened here. So knowing that, um, I, I think a don't with analog is like, we often romanticize that like getting out of the box is better than staying in the box. And maybe not so much anymore 
But when I started like 12, 14 years ago, and digital was kind of just starting to become like, hey, plugins are pretty cool. Um, there was still this big push of like, well, getting out of the box will solve your digititis, basically. Mm-hmm. And what I found is that's not necessarily true unless you're using a pretty high quality piece of gear, especially at this stage, because digital is pretty darn good. And leaving the box in theory on paper is always a loss. You're losing something if you're going to leave the box. Now, whether or not, you know, sometimes I don't like that argument of like using the word like, oh, you lose fidelity and necessarily attaching losing with bad. So that's something I'd like to change in the the narrative of audio and kind of in, I'll say this is a newer argument I've heard the last few years that's like, oh, we stay in the box because going out of the box, you lose something immediately. Which, mm-hmm. like on a scientific paper, yes. Like, you're going to leave it, you're going to go through cables and then something else and then back through cables and then back through converter. Yeah, it's probably losing something, but um, you know, we always talk about like, well, what you gain is better than what you lose. I don't even know if losing's the word I like to use for that. I'd like to think of a better word. Changes, it changes the audio. That's probably a more neutral term. Anyway, my first like don't would be like, don't just go waste your money on something cheap. Don't go buy like a random thing from the pawn shop expecting it to sound like a hit record that was used, that used like a massive passive or something like traditionally known for producing great sonic records. Um, don't just don't waste your money. You know, it can be fun. I mean, I don't, I don't, you don't need my permission to buy anything or not, but I remember having this kind of a longing for like, ooh, I want like this analog glue and like, you know, some width and depth and character. And so I bought a bunch of cheap stuff because I was impatient and then I was like, well, this is kind of a waste anyway and it sounds terrible. So I just stayed in the box. So my first five years, I stayed in the box. I didn't go out of the box. Then I could semi-afford out of the box. So I bought some cheap stuff. (laughs) I don't know why I did that. It was just the mindset at the time. But that's my first don't. Don't go cheap. If you really want to go out of the box, you know, analog do's and don'ts, don't go pick up a $20 Personas compressor and think that it'll probably beat out your plugins because it most likely will not. Um, It'll probably sound pretty crummy. There's not a lot of headroom and something like that and just feel really strange. So, um, So that's my first one. What about you, Matt? What's an analog don't that you have? I think this is like almost like a pre-analog don't, and it's like it it it's it, it definitely edges on the don't, yeah. Um, but it and it involves gear, but it involves it in the buying sense mm. of don't listen to people who aren't doing what you're doing or doing what you want to do. Um, those opinions kind of suck. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, when I was getting into this, I had a bunch of people being like, yeah, master engineers use this, and they use this, and they do, like, this type of compression, and you're going to need this, and you're going to need that. And it's like, you didn't end up needing any of that crap. And it's like, you just needed, like, a few really high-quality pieces of equipment. Yeah. And it's like, I just had, like, a bunch of junk, and 
I was just like, man, why did I go down this road? And then there was, like, I went through this, like, whole, like, Transformer stage, like, really early on. But it's like, when you were really, like, green into the whole thing, to where, like, you really couldn't, like, you thought you could hear it, but then you'd, like, null it out, and you'd be like, well, that's not what I thought I heard. <laughs> and it's just like, well, dang it, why did I... <laughs> Why did I listen to that opinion? Why did I not just kind of take my own path forward? Yeah. And perhaps that's just a good lesson learned early. Because following that path at a later date could have made for a more expensive mistake. Yeah. All the stuff that I bought early on, I was able to sell it and turn it for a bit of a profit. Um, I do still have Transformers because I do like them. I, I used to... I, I made this like transformer matrix that I really liked. You can drive into it and out of it and whatnot. And I thought it was really fun. Um, I don't have that installed anymore. It's on a rack behind my room. And I like the transformers are like kind of hanging out under my desk, but nothing's connected to anything. And it's like, okay, you'll live here until I like really need you. Yeah. Um, but just like, and it's like all that stuff's like really good, and it's like playing around with like UTCs and uh, Western Electric and whatnot, and it's all really nice. But in all actuality, is like a trend. Like when you're starting, and the like the kind of work that you're getting when you're starting, is that really what you need to fix the larger issues that you genuinely have when you start? Because normally when you're starting out, you're not getting stuff to be like, man, I wonder how discreet I can be. It's like, right. no, it's like, how do I move the trash from this side of the mix to a <laughs> uh, more hidden side of the mix? Or it's like, how do I how do I make this work to make it sound less woofy? And the answer is not Transformers. <laughs> it's it's like that's that's the opposite. And so trying to learn all that in the in and out, I, I don't really I don't really recommend that. I have a second one. Um, oh, yeah. And then I guess we can move on to some do's and then like personal stuff that we do and don't do. Yeah. Um, so I'll do a second do or don't. And then if you have, do you have another one? Um, no, we can just keep rolling. We can move to some do's. All right, do's. cool. Yeah. So I'm going to finish my last don't, at least as of right now. And it's really like thinking that you have to use that piece of gear because you mm, bought it. Yes, 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 yes. And it's like, it's kind of funny because in the like earlier days, people would be like, "Oh, I can't wait to hear what that Verimuse sounds like on my, like, on my mix." And it's funny because you pop it in and you're just like, "Yeah, this doesn't sound good here at all. This isn't what this mix needs in the slightest." And it's just kind of funny. Like some people will just have thoughts about what certain things will sound like and uh, they kind of like drum up the tone in their head and what their mix will sound like but through that magic box. Yeah. And that magic box is not at all appropriate. And it's like, well, do you use it? Do you not use it? And be like, and if they bring it up, you're just like, yeah, yeah, it's great. And it's like, but if they're happy, then they're happy. It's like, yeah, just go go on ahead. But no, it's like, it's like I will not like... If someone's really excited about the analog gear, the irony is nine times out of ten, that thing never pops out of the box because it's either like it doesn't need it or it you can't really like afford to come out of the box because yeah. and I and 
I do like that little sidetrack you were kind of going down about like does going out of the box do you lose something and before you even said it I was thinking I was like it's not really that you lose something it's just that there's like a general tonal shift yeah that <clears throat> is that there's like that's possible of like it's possible that this can happen and that when you come in it's there's a potential that things could be a little bit more rounded off and it may it's not going to be 100% the same but saying that you're going to lose something is a negative and there's not necessarily a negative in this whole thing but it's just whether or not it's appropriate for the source or not and it's like yeah sure if you're like going in and out with like nine, ten thousand dollar Weiss converters, yeah, you're probably not really going to hear much of it. Yeah. And let's say you're running a digital signal path of literally just Weiss EQ, Weiss compressor, Weiss DS, or whatever. And it's literally, it's going analog to like analog ish gear, but it's all AES. So it's all technically digital. And it's like, I don't know, you may, you may never really hear it. Yeah. Um, but if you're going to physical actual pieces of gear like Manly and Neve and whatnot and API, you're going to probably hear something and there's going to be a little bit of a tonal shift. So it's not whether you're going to lose something, whether you're going to gain something, it's whether or not it's appropriate for the source material. And if it's really ever a question of like, I don't really know if this is appropriate for the source material, it's like the whole question of like, if you have to ask how much it is, you can't afford it. It's like, <laughs> if you have to ask if it's appropriate for the source material, it's probably not. Mm -hmm. And you should probably just hang out in the box. That's actually one of, I think, the... I think that's like a lesson in maturity to a degree. And yeah. on past episodes, I've said my definition of maturity is like whether or not it's not like what you do and say and don't do and don't say. It's like really kind of like a matter of like restraint of like, I don't know. It's like this, like I don't really need to go out of the box to like prove my worth or to prove that like, yo, look what I can do because that might not serve the client and their mix the best. And so I think that falls under the don'ts of thinking you have to use the gear because you have it. It's like you're sitting in front of $60,000, $40,000 worth of gear and saying, yeah, I don't think I don't think this needs to kind of hang out in the analog realm. Um, I think that's a really good, tangible don't. Um, let's go a little bit personal on things, Sam. Mm -hmm. What do you say for you, is a do. Like, by all means, please, proceed this way. <laughs> a do. With, with analog gear. Um, Are we going to, like, end this episode like, I bid you, a do. I bid you, I do. <laughs> a do for analog. <laughs> I would <right>. say <laughs> definitely create a consistent chain in that, like, cables matter. And mm. the cables between your gear matter or patch bay matter, and you want. Do you think to, it matters early on? Yeah, I do. Okay, um, I really do. And if I was doing it all again, which we've kind of done, I think a few episodes like that, I would buy. Yeah, great cables from the start. 
full range monitors and a good converter, you know, like that mm -hmm. for sure. Um, cables, good cables drastically improve my sound and decision making. And um, I can't say enough about switching over to basically all the Grim cables, still what I use. Mm -hmm. And then I have like just a few Mogami Golds um, as patch cables. But the Grim stuff for me was night and day. Um, if you have a good room and setup, you, I think it's really easy to hear the differences. If you're just starting, say you're in a so-so room and maybe you have, I don't know, so-so headphones and I don't, it's, we all start somewhere, it's fine. Just mm -hmm. know that it's harder to notice the differences in a less than ideal um, environment. But if you want to trust me, <laughs> which I think you should on this, uh, this would uh, this is something I'd be willing to put money on and and back up is cables do make a difference. Um, you don't need to go on forums and ask that question or read down. They do make a difference. Uh, Matt and I have done tests of running cables sound through cables and back and different cables, and it does sound different. Some cables sound more full, some sound thinner. Um, some definitely are not accurate and like. You could buy two, uh, one of the companies I used to use, Planet Waves, which is no knock on them, but I could buy two of the same cables from them and one channel would be like a quarter dB louder or softer, you know, and that's, what? yeah, that's like a big deal. So... Were they the same length? Yeah, same length, same cable, you know, bottom back-to-back -back guitar center or something. And, mm. uh, you know, the, I don't know what you call it, tolerance... They're just inaccurate, and the like. The Grims, the Mogami Golds. I've, I've, I like Mogami Golds as well. They've always been extremely consistent. I line yeah. check everything always and do that like every week um, to make sure nothing's crapping out. And I've never had an issue with Mogami. I've never had an issue with Grim, <clears throat> but the consistency is dead on with um, with those two brands that I've used. So cables matter. So do invest into the non-sexy things for analog. Do that. Um, another quick one too, I'll just say, do when you buy gear or you're looking to buy gear, do read the manuals um, because a lot of analog gear might have a tone or curve to it just by running something through it. So like Poltex are really not flat even if you're just running a signal through it, especially like the mid-range Pultec um, has like a built-in, that uh, has built-in filters on basically the top and bottom and it's a little scoopy mm. just by running a signal through it. And the more you change the gain on it, the more harmonic distortion you get in the mid-range uh, with like a mid-range Pultec, the MEQ5. Um, so a lot of analog gear just by engaging it will produce a change in the sound. And so when you're buying gear, you want to just make sure you know what you're getting into. Because um, a lot of people buy stuff and then they run their their song through and they're like, hey, the mid-range feels thin. And it's like, yeah, that's just how it's always going to be. <laughs> like, that's just, it's just how the tone gets processed. Um, and then there's usually like a lot of cool settings that people never read about. Mm -hmm. or learn about 
you know, it's just like the uh, the LA two A's, which are basically like the the reduction is triggered by the screw in the back um, on like the Waves plugin. It's the little screw on the front on your LA two A that goes from like flat to high frequency, um, and that screw basically tells the compressor where to kick in, and you can actually the LA two A is actually an amazing deesser. Um, if you dial that in to be at more at the top end high frequency for it to be triggered by that. But there's things like... Look uh, at you DSing. Yeah, you know. It's a smoother. Oh, man. We got to bring out another DSing <laughs> It's not a DSer. It's a compressor, which is all DSers. Um, anyway, I use it just to smooth some top end sometimes. I don't use it as a DSer, but it could be a great DSer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You literally just said it's a great DSer. It is so a we great DSer. You. You're gonna like remove it and post. It's a great. When I, I said it, when I mix, I use the LA2A as a DSer. How about that? I don't use it as that for mastering. I will use an LA2A sometimes. I heard what now. I heard. It's yeah, okay. yeah. Okay, fine. It's a great DSer. <laughs> anyway, that screw on the on the real units is like on the back side, and you don't really have access to it easily, especially if you rack it up. So a lot of LA-2As in studios, if I see them, like I need to go on the back and see where the screw is because it will totally change the way it interacts with like reduction. So there's things like that where you could have two LA-2As set up and one could be, you could send it the same signal and if that screw is in a different position, then it's going to respond totally different. So there's a bunch of stuff like that, like quirky analog gear. It's actually like cool features. There's like really cool things that people usually build into analog um, to make the piece of gear a bit more versatile to the source material. So make sure you do do some education. Do yourself an education and uh, read the manuals before you buy a piece of gear. Don't just buy it blindly. Read the manual and then invest into like your signal chain like your cables, your monitors, your converters. Do, 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 do that first. Okay. Those are my couple little do's. And now I'm going to hand it off. We're doing a good job. A lot of do-do. I want to hand it off to you again. What a mess. Yeah, we're doing do-do. it. We're, we're kind of dialoguing. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I'm writing something down. Uh, echoing your cable thing, the only Mogami Gold that I still have is, is ironically running from this microphone mm. to a cloud lifter to... Where does this plug into? Oh, this plugs into the input of my Manly, and then that all goes grim back to the computer. Um, when I bought my Manly Backbone, the Elko connectors, which were before the DB25 connectors... I believe they initially came from Manly as um, Mogami. And I always know, and, and I was running Mogami everywhere. And so I would have my loop from the helo to the backbone back to, and just like, yeah, if like, like from the input, I'm sorry, from the output of the helo to the input of the backbone to the output of the backbone back to the Manly, obviously like making your loop. Man, did I just like screw this, like, screw the pooch again on this? <laughs> I was totally flipping buttons and I might have turned off my mic. Whatever, we'll figure it out. Ooh. Anyway, uh, I totally screwed the pooch on it. Um, I don't know, we'll have to see. Um, I would notice as I would be switching between things, 
uh, with the Hilo. So the way that I have my Hilo set up is the monitoring section is essentially my A reference. So like pre-master, and then I guess given that I don't have any plugins on, but then the routing section would be like all of your chain. So I can mm-hmm. really quickly, when I'm mastering, push monitoring, and that's my that's the mix. I can do routing, and that's the mastering. So it's a really quick A, B on what's going on. Well, I would do that back and forth, and I'd be like, man, I hear a difference. And all I'm doing is I'm running very short cables from the heel to the backbone, from the backbone to the heel. It's like a really quick loop. And so I was like, man, I got to test this out because... There is like 100% of tone. It's not a bad tone, but there's 100% of tone here. And that's when like everyone's like, oh, cables don't matter. I'm like, I don't know if you're hearing what I'm hearing or how, I, don't, I, I don't know. Maybe one of us is smoking something. I, I don't know. <laughs> but I was like, I hear something for sure. And so I went on this whole pilgrimage years ago. Uh, I had my Mogami. Let me look at this rack that still has some of these on here. Uh, I went to, I'm like, I'm into hi-fi stuff, so I went to some Cardis cables, some really, really thick, like the blue, I have to see what they're called, but they're like the blue ones. Um, I think Grim were the last ones I got. Uh, I had some tributaries because I wanted to try out silver cables, like A1 Silver. It was like some discontinuing brand. Um, And then I actually think that I saw... In a forum, I think I saw Dave Collins talk about Grimm. And I was like, I've never heard of this Grimm before. And so I went on. It's a company out of like the Netherlands or Finland. And I, I'm probably butchering that. And I'm sorry. I, I, <laughs> I'm not looking it up right now. Um, listen, I bought a shit ton of your cable. Like that, that, that makes up for me not remembering <laughs> where y'all are from. Um, I got some of the cable. And so I put this whole test together where I had three tracks and I would have like the main track, I'd have the tributaries, I'd have the Mogami, I'd have the Cardis, I'd have the Grim, and I would run all these things, and then I would essentially null it out against the like the main track that I was that, that everything was recorded through. And it was literally just the Hilo to the Manly loop. And the Grim nulled out just about one hundred percent. And I was like, You gotta be kidding me. But everything else had this like kind of tone to it that that didn't null out. And I was like, that is so interesting. And I was like, how do people say cables don't have a sound when I'm <laughs> literally able to null this out? And so, I mean, and and manly, by the way, because you could make the argument, oh, well, it's the it's the tone of the backbone. Well, so, according to Ivana Manley and the sales reps and a few videos, so long as the gain in the backbone is not uh, inserted or active... They claim this is a completely passive box. And so that would say to me that there would be no tone but the cables. And so um, I did I did those tests, and I was kind of blown away by how transparent it was. I swapped out, and, and well, also, like, so all the snakes for, on the Elkos from my Manly were Mogami, I swapped all of those out. My my good friend Angel like painstakingly did all the Elko pins and everything, and uh, I would put in the the chains and like I don't know like whatever channel one two whatever, and <laughs> another button that whatever this is gonna be fun and post for you. <laughs> um, 
And I didn't hear anything. I didn't hear like box tones and stuff like that like I normally would. I, I didn't I didn't hear a bunch of stuff. Um and I was like, holy cow, this is like le- this is legitimately a thing. And this has cleaned up my signal chain. So I highly echo what Sam was saying uh with Grim. And uh Yeah. I, I I we're not getting a co- we're not getting a commission with them, but I I can say that I have sold a fair amount of uh TPR. It's the twisted pair reference or whatever it's called. It's it's ironically the less expensive of their cables. They have like a hi-fi one that's really expensive, but then they have like a TPR, and that's all you need. You can buy snakes, I think eight and sixteen. You can buy individual runs, RCAs, XLRs, really whatever you need. Another thing with them that's so freaking awesome is that you'll never have to buy another AES cable because the impedance is a, of those cables is perfect for to double as an AES cable. So you can run it line, you can just run it like regular uh, regular signal or you can run it as a uh, as an AES cable. And so it's just like, man, these guys are just like the batting average is perfect on this, so I don't know. I I, I personally love them. Apparently, they're not good enough to make this vocal chain of mine. But <laughs> <laughs> oh well. Um, so anyway, that is that, that. That's not really like my next do, but that was a uh, that was definitely echoing that. And then the manuals. It's like one one of the cool things is like if you have some fun people who are writing the manuals, they'll put like little tips and tricks and mm-hmm. like even how to mod the gear. Mm-hmm. In there, and I think in the backbone manual, like Ivana Manley put in there, of like, yeah, if you want to do this, just take this ribbon connector and move it from here to here, and you can get this. And I mean, the manuals give you all this cool stuff, and you're like, oh, I had no idea. I've been using this for six months, and I didn't know it could do this. And so it's just these people think of everything, and so they're they're fun to they're fun to listen to and try out their little tricks. Um. I mean, I'd never know the API, the whole knobs at noon thing. It's like the best like way to start off a 2500 according mm-hmm. to them. And I'll generally just dial the release back. But I mean, when I'm using like this thing, the ratio is generally at five, which I never did that when I was using a 2500 in the box. Um, but it's just And just like the way that I stage everything, it's just like 100% from them. And they're like, yeah, it's a great starting point. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. Um. Anyway, I'll get away from what you just said. My dues. <laughs> um, I think that you should 100% play with driving converters and figure out whether you like it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, for Sam, I believe it's a do not. For me, it's a do. But it's only a do if the converter can handle it. Um, you've heard on past episodes, the AD on the Hilo can get a touch cranky. <laughs> um but the thing is, is that like it handles the punch so well and some of the soft clipping it does is so nice and tasteful that it actually adds some good punch um, that the crane song head that I have may essentially roll off to a degree. And so I may let the Hilo AD kind of do its thing. But if you ever have like a down moment that's like really dynamic and those dynamics are kind of like hitting like into the red a touch... And those dynamic moments, you'll hear like the little like AD fart sound, and it's like eh, <laughs> poop. And it's like I don't know, do you use it and then RX it out later or what? And it's like I don't know, it depends on how pure, how much of a purist you want to be. Um, but driving the head quantum, I absolutely love it to the point to where uh, I was in 
Hong Kong a few months ago, and I was working remote, and I was craving like the converter sound of like just like driving it. Just there's a sound, there's a thing about it that I absolutely love just hitting a converter. And then I remembered I had recently purchased that uh, that Acoustica plugin. That's like the Ash. Mm-hmm. That what is it? It emulates the uh, the Lavery Gold converters, mm-hmm. and I think like a few other Lavery converters. I love it on like the platinum setting, but just like just clipping it just a little bit, like maybe a little less than like half a dB. It just like the way that like stuff drives into uh, drives into like a mastering converter. I just freaking love it, and I can't get enough of it. And that's kind of been a fun little thing to play around with. So I don't know. Uh, I highly do recommend you. Um, you check that out. So I can let you. I have like two or three more. No, I have uh, three or four more, and we don't have the most amount of time. But what <laughs> other do's or do nots do you have? Do like we can just kind of like open the floor. The floor is now open. The floor is now open. For the we do's got like and a, the like an opening floor bell, bling, bling, like bling, the stock bling. market. Yeah. Oh, nice. That's close. There you go. Actually, it's not a great like a little Yeti tumbler. It's like a cowbell. There you go. Okay. Do's and don'ts. Analog. Um, let's see where do I want to start. Do, 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 do. Okay. Do for analog is uh, buy a two piece of gear and a solid state piece of gear. That's a do. Um, nice. For sure. Because they're so drastically different and they give you so much versatility that you owe it to yourself to have both those tools. So that's a super simple one. Um, Within the tube one, this is a do, um, try out different tubes. This kind of goes into like analog world with you, Matt, saying like in the manual, they give you like some tips or how to mod. It's something I really like about analog that I kind of feel like plugins don't offer is like in tube gear, and I've done it with my master passive, like I use a specific Softech tube in there. Um, that's not the standard tube. It's not necessarily one I see a lot of people using, but you can swap tubes to drastically change the sound of your uh, piece of gear. So do experiment with tubes. Um Make sure the power's off while you're doing that, <laughs> please. And like, leave it like if yeah. you're in the if Let you're it, in a massive passive, yeah. like leave it off for like a good few minutes before you go poke around in there because those caps. Yeah, I, I I've never seen someone shoot across a room from touching a charge <laughs> capacitor, but it's possible. Um. So yeah, do Get the crap zapped out of you. Do um do play with the tubes and also do this is a fun thing too. Um. I open all my gear up when I buy it. Um, oh, you got to. Yeah. Like, so do turn the power Just off. Just don't drool in the <laughs> yeah. piece of gear. Make sure the power's off once again. Yeah. Um, and do unscrew, you know, the top or the back or however you can get access and look at what's inside your gear. Like, look at the components. Look if there's tubes, um, you know, transformers. Like in my black line, I had like vintage Sinmag transformers put in. 
And you can see kind of what's in there. You can like modify some components that maybe are a bit cheaper that they kind of went with, um, you know, that you could maybe upgrade. And if you find a decent tech, I mean, I have the luxury in Nashville. Not that techs are everywhere anymore. It's kind of no. a dying breed. But in Nashville, you can find some people that will, you know, if you say, hey, I've got this, like I've modded, had people mod power supplies on old piece of gear so it, you know, can run quieter and whatnot and hotter. So um, do open up your pieces of gear with the power off and see maybe what it would be like to swap some things out because you can kind of like customize your gear, which, um, you know, makes it unique to you. Like some of the stuff I have done on my gear, like nobody else has in the world, which is potentially a unique selling point, but, you know, could push back on whether or not it's necessary, but... I've uh, kind of modded probably three or four pieces of gear. Um, and that's part of my sound. So do do that. Have fun with that. Um, it's a great weekend uh, project. So yeah, do that with your tubes. Do that with your gear. Um, let's just throw in once again, do turn the power off <laughs> before doing all that. Um, let's see, don'ts. Maybe a couple don'ts here I have written down. Um, don't think gear, don't think analog will like solve your monitoring, your environment issues. Um, like I, I don't know, sometimes people buy analog gear thinking it will solve their frustration with the way things are translating. Like that's the missing piece. Um, but it's often not, it's often your environment. So don't buy analog to solve a problem it can't solve. Um, that's what a lot of people do. Don't, you know, don't buy analog when you need clients. Uh, the, the analog will not bring on the clients most likely. Um, that'll come from you marketing correctly. So those are a little kind of like outlier do's or, and don'ts. Um, but yeah, don't do that. Let's see what else here. Um, don't... Don't be afraid to sell your analog gear. <laughs> I think we've talked about that before, but if you buy a piece of gear, don't be afraid uh, to sell it. Or if you want, buy it new and you can return it. Form a relationship with uh, a company or a shop. And you know, if you do that, you can sometimes bring the piece of gear home for a test drive, essentially. And then if you like it, you know, you buy it. If you don't, bring it back. Um, but don't feel like sometimes people ask me like, Hey, I've saved up X amount of dollars and I don't want to like screw up buying my first thing of analog or whatever. And I would say like, Hey, you can always sell it, you know, like, or just buy it brand new, which like, well, I don't want to pay a brand new price. But sometimes if you brand, if you buy brand new, there are, um, things that are worth it to be able to return it or swap it for another piece of gear. Um, you know, I've done that in the past where I, took something home or bought something brand new and realized I didn't quite like it. So I returned it and swapped it for a different piece of gear. Um, so that's another one. And let's see, what else do I have here that would be worth saying? Um, I guess I will say this. This is kind of like... I would say with analog, don't... Ah, 
there's pushback to this, but maybe don't always buy the copycat clone of something. I know we've kind of talked about that in an older episode, but there's definitely a big I think that one's great. tone difference between like <clears throat> a real Universal Audio 1176 um, and a, say, whatever other company name it, their 1176. Um, it's very easy for companies to just say, this is our emulation of an 1176, and it literally doesn't have to sound like it. <laughs> like it... <laughs> They could just they can just say that, and then the inside components can be completely different. And most people won't be comparing. Most people are not going to buy a real eleven seventy six in theory and compare it to the say one that's a quarter of the price that claims it's an eleven seventy six. Um, you could trust me on this one. I've done so much AB, and I've had the luxury of being in Nashville, where. People do buy the cheap and the expensive. I've done shootouts, you know, rent gear from Blackbird, the the brand name one versus the new one that's, you know, a quarter of the cost or half the cost. There's a lot of this too with like 1073s and Neves. Um, a 1073 Neve, like a real one, it just can't be beat. Like, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean there's not some great 1073 companies. You know, some of the... I don't even call them knockoffs, just comparables. Um, I think in the watch world, Matt, do they call it like homage? Like a homage watch? Like if you had, is that the word? H O M A G E? Do you um, know? I, I like don't if they're making, so. like, there's an Explorer, the Rolex Explorer, and then somebody makes a watch like that. Isn't it called homage? H O M A G E? Like you're paying homage to it? Yeah, I don't think like so. you're paying homage. I feel like it's a word I see. I don't think so. I more see it as like you're copying a design that's like no longer like copyrightable because it's like such an old design. Yeah. Anyway. You- I think that's how other people see it too. Because mm-hmm. like generally it's like if you want that watch in general, like you're just going to like get save up and get that watch. Right. And like if you get one that kind of looks like it, it's like it, it's, it really depends on like what you're doing too because – it's like, are you getting something so people notice it? In which case, and if you're around other people who know that type of stuff, and they're like, oh, yeah, well, that's just kind of like like a knockoff of like a Rolex Explorer. Like Smiths have that like Everest that like, I don't know how Smiths came back, but they have that Everest that looks like a Rolex Explorer. And it's like, well, it's like, I don't know. I, was, I, I saw it today and I was like, it's kind of cool, but it's like everyone, like if I'm around ever like a, like a watch person, I'm like, oh, that's like, you couldn't afford that, so you got that. And it's like, well, no, I just thought it kind of looked cool, and I didn't care if I lost it. <laughs> but I, I don't I don't think it's like homage or anything else. I I, I just kind of see it like as like like someone's kind of knocking it off. Um yes. But <laughs> um yes. Uh but yeah. I think that the same thing with like people doing like clones in the audio thing. Now I think like a clone and a one-to-one accurate replica. Ah, there you go, yeah. Is, like, I think, like, making a one-to-one accurate replica of, like, uh, like, we know that guy who does the 670s. Yes. And he's in Charleston. And that is a one-to-one, from what I understand, a Fairchild 670 replica. One-to-one. Yeah. It's not like a clone, like a stam child or like an unfair child or whatever it is. It's it's none of that. And I'm like not talking down if you have that, but um, it's not a one to one. It's like their take on it. And so I don't know. 
take that for whatever you will. Yeah. I'm of the opinion with that that I I don't like the clone stuff. Yeah. I don't I don't see a reason to do it because in all like like looking at it and whatnot is like if you could afford the real thing, you'd get the real thing, but you're not getting the real thing because you just you didn't want to save up the cash to go get it, which you know, you do you. But it's like I don't know. I wanted a massive passive, so I just saved up money and like I'm pretty good at shopping deals, and so I found a deal, and yeah. that was just that, and that's what I wanted. I didn't want another two BQ because even if it looked like a massive passive, it's like, well, it's not it. Like I want that, and so that's what I got. And like you're chasing the tone of the 1073, then don't get the dang clone. Yeah, right. So yeah, don't get me started. We're gonna go for another hour. So. <laughs> right. Yes, that's all good stuff. <laughs> yeah, I would say. Um, you can trust me on this one too. Like, buy the real piece of gear. It sounds better. It performs better. It's more consistent. This does not mean you can't make great sounding records with the non brand name stuff. But if you are chasing a certain sound, if you're going to be in this for the long haul, just save your money. Buy the, the trusted brand. It's there. It's still around 50, 60 years later for a reason. And uh, I know there's going to be some people that don't feel bad if you did that. Also, screw my opinion if you're like, no, I just like this other brand. That's great. But if you're teeter-tottering on the fence of like, is it really worth it to buy the whatever, Universal Audio, Real 1176, or Real Poltex, I'm going to stand on this one and say, yes, it is. It is better. They sound better. For comparing analog to analog, Yes. It's not even a, is it different? It's a sonic improvement. It's more accurate. It's more consistent. And it sounds like the sound you're chasing. So that's where I'll end with that. And uh, that's kind of my list. Man, this like whole like thing is like, man, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole again. We've already done that episode. We should do another one. Yeah, we should. I'm feeling angsty now. <laughs> like, we got to do this episode. But it's like if you had like significant market deflation to a point to where like an LA-2A and a WA-2A were the exact same price, which one would you get? I'm you get the, you'd get right. the LA-2A. Right, yeah. Because you're not chasing the tone of the WA-2A. Right, correct. You're chasing the tone of the LA-2A. Yeah. Yep. And so it's like just quit screwing around and get the thing you actually want. Right, make better records faster. Yeah, it's incredible when you buy like, and you get into the analog and like, like you actually like have a workflow, and it is the right scenario for it. Just like, yeah, it's not going to say it's going to increase, it's going to like improve what you're doing, but it's when you do have a workflow, it's pretty impressive how quick you do get with dialing in. Like essentially what you want. Yes, I have a few more do's and don'ts. Go ahead. I won't take yeah. a lot of time because it's not like the clone talk. <laughs> let's run through those and then you can take us home. Perfect. Um, I think for a do, um, learn the tones of your analog gear. Mm. So when you get a compressor, like if it's tube, let it warm up and then slam the absolute crap out of it just so you can learn what this thing is sounding like when it's really, really, really working, when it's overloaded, learn how it distorts, learn how 
all the funky junk in it works, learn the actual tones of the gain knobs and how the tone of the box changes whenever you're like messing with time constants and whatnot. Um, Another do along that point as far as mastering is concerned. This is a... This is one of those, like, do whatever the heck you want, but this is just kind of me having done this for, right, I'm like coming up on 10 years here, is I don't recommend buying a mastering compressor or really a compressor in general that doesn't have some type of a high-pass filter on it. Um, I think it's a bit silly. I mean, I, I'm going to get significant hate for this one, but it's like... <laughs> In 2020 or 2021, Maslick discontinued the MLA-2, their, their compressor. And I owned one at a time, and I was like, mm, this doesn't have a high-pass filter, and I'm compressing things that I don't really want to compress in these mixes. And, hmm. and so I ended up selling it and got something that did have a high-pass filter, but... It's kind of silly, and then they go and they bring it back this year, and I'm looking at it, and I'm like, oh, they didn't put a high-pass filter on it. Like, they had the chance when they were redoing stuff. They could have done that, but it's as useless as it was before. (laughs) That's the part I'll get hate for, but I just looked at it. I was like, why even release this without this even being a mod? To me, is a little bit silly. Um they're not dumb. I have two Maslick pieces of gear. I love Maslick. I think they sound fantastic. I thought that compressor sounded fantastic. It's just like, I can't use this by like, like the low end is just like tanking stuff. It's like, oh, I'll put it earlier in the chain. Well, guess what? <laughs> the low end was still doing stuff. And it's like, I'm grabbing parts of the song I don't want to grab. Right. Um, so high pass filter, very big. Um, that's like alongside learning tones. Um, I mean, just like learning. Uh, learning box tones in general. So, like, you insert a piece of gear. Like, what does that sound like as yeah. opposed to, like, like removing it? And so, like, like it. I'm, I'm not saying this in a weird way, but, like, intimately learning how your pieces of gear sound. Um, and, I mean, even that's, like, kind of why I don't have stuff. Like, um, the Kniff, uh, Knife, Niff, uh, Very Mew that I had. I don't think he's making it anymore. Um, I think he, I think he stopped making the very mew. But anyway, uh, I did not care for the box tone. For a very mew, it was significantly cleaner than I was expecting. It was a great compressor. I have a record that I can direct you to where you can hear the box tone of that thing across the whole darn record. It was a great compressor for the record that I had, but it only got one or two records. Uh, before I ended up selling it, and I got a Manly Very Mew, and it was exactly what I wanted um, as far as a tone. So learning that, learning your gain knobs and and all that stuff. Uh, what do I have here? Oh yeah, okay. This is this is my last one. Um, don't. So while yes, open up the gear and whatnot. Like be careful. Like unplug it. Like you know, electronics. Ow! Like yeah, don't don't hurt yourself. Um, don't lose those little screws either. <laughs> if you can't figure out how to open it, then don't open it. And if you're that that this was not advice on you should do it, but if you open up the piece of gear and the PC board says if you can read this, you've voided your warranty. 
Uh, the attacker in Lee's show is not liable for that. Um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> when you do open up a piece of gear, do not judge it by its internals. Mm-hmm. Opening up a very a manly very mew, a manly massive passive, those things are gorgeous. The foot control systems that I have here, gorgeous. But there's some stuff that looks big, but sometimes the secret sauce is in how little is going on. So the Masonic MEA2, it's literally a PC board on the back of all of these EQ knobs. And then it's a bunch of blank space until you get to the back of the box, which is a pretty deep box. And the blank space is almost more important than the whole thing being filled up. It is literally a blank chassis of a box. Go Google the inside of a Masalik MEA2. And then in the back, you have your power supply. Why is this all important? It's because separating the power from where the actual like signal is flowing is pretty darn important. And having that type of separation leads to a really quiet operating piece of gear. Um and so, yeah, you spend seven grand on something, but you know what? Maybe seven grand is like, how quiet can't we make it? And so it's, you know, sometimes just the right tool for the job. I do look at it every now and then. I'm like, man, I don't really use this thing that much. But when I use it, man, I use it. <laughs> um, and it's like to a point to where like I can't live without it. Um, but good grief, does it sound fantastic. Um Anyway, I think that's all I have for my do's and don'ts. I'm sure there's like other people out there listening being like, I can't believe you didn't say this. Uh, <laughs> now would be a great time to segue that if we did miss anything, send us a DM, write us, let us know what you think. Mm-hmm. What are your do's and don'ts for the analog realm? I would love to hear them. I'm sure Sam would love to hear them. Uh, if you hear a sweet beat queuing up in the background, that was made by the one and only lovely Samuel Moses. If you wouldn't mind, just send him a DM. Just say, hey, thanks for putting this all together. They always sound fantastic. They are always just over the top. Thank you. You're so I would appreciate it because you saying thank you to him is just a continuation or an, an extension of me saying thank you. So, Sam, I'm very grateful. You do an incredible job. Well, thank you. I hope every time I say that, you just like blush with how much I, I just do. say. I have like, a big thank smile you. on my face. It's nice. Good. That is the intent. So everyone just make Sam kind of embarrassed with how much praise you give him for putting these together. They do sound fantastic. It is the best sounding podcast I've ever heard. It is mm-hmm. the loudest podcast on the mm-hmm. radio, radio waves. So for that, I thank you. Um, if you like what you heard, uh, feel free to, uh, to leave some thumbs up, some stars, whatever you got, wherever you are. Um, if you wouldn't mind just uh, popping over to the comments, writing us a comment, that would be awesome. I love reading comments, uh, good or bad. If you have any bad stuff, write write, write into the Attack and Release show. We'd love to chat about stuff. Let's see what else. If you need the mastering engineer, Sam can be found at Moses Mastering. I can be found at For the Record Mastering. And uh, we would both love to finish your record, take it across the line, and, uh, yeah, send you on your way. Tears in your eyes. You're like, oh, I've never been so happy. Uh, we would love to be that for you. Um, but if you made it this far, we thank you very much. Thank you for listening. And uh, yeah, morning, afternoon, evening, whatever you're having, have a darn good one. See you on the next episode. Cue the music. Yay! Yeah.